Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. On today's show, we'll talk about Philadelphia staving off elimination with their first win against the Celtics and the Cavaliers completing the sweep against the Raptors. Stan Van Gundy is out in Detroit. We'll talk about what that means for the Pistons going forward before previewing tonight's playoff games. It's Locked On NBA. Thank you so much for listening and for subscribing. Now let's get to the show. Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back. And you can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Ramil, a credentialed NBA writer who's covered the league at large for SB Nation and Fansided. And you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRamil13. On today's show, we'll talk about the changes in the Pistons front office and look ahead to some possible elimination games tonight. But let's start with Philadelphia's win over Boston, entering Monday down 3-0 in the series. The 76ers beat the Celtics 103-92 to and will survive for at least another couple of days in the playoffs. Brett Brown opted to replace Robert Covington with TJ McConnell in the starting lineup. And David, I'd say that move paid off. Yeah, uh, McConnell, you could argue, probably has outplayed uh, Ben Simmons for most of the series. Uh, he looked like he's just oh, yeah. always contributing a, a spark of energy. Uh, you know, he, he gets into the lane. He's active as a rebounder despite his diminutive height. He's just uh, a much more energetic player. And, uh, you know, that kind of spark is what Philadelphia was looking for because, quite honestly, they just did not have an answer for a Celtics team that's lacking their two best players in Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. So, Despite that, they, they completely outclassed the 76ers, who looked so dominant against Miami in the first round of the playoffs. But uh, McConnell, to, to his credit, has just been really, really effective and had a really good night tonight against the Celtics. Yeah, starting him, you know, I guess Brown opting for somebody a little bit more mobile to chase, you know, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier around. Robert Covington has, you know, had a tough... Not only this series, but just the yeah. postseason in general. He was he was a non-factor in my against Miami. He's been a non-factor against Boston. Tough, just a tough postseason for Robert Covington. McConnell, um, you know, in that in the first round for the Sixers, you know, Brett Brown was opting for Markel Fultz as his point guard off the bench. McConnell quickly uh, leapt him in the pecking order, proved that he's capable of playing playoff minutes. And now he's even leapt Robert Covington in the starting lineup. He McConnell finishing with 19 points. Uh, seven rebounds and five assists, a really nice box score for him. And, you know, was kind of the the, the, the guy at the podium at the end of the game. But um, I thought it was a really good move by Brett Brown to put him in there, not only for the offensive purposes, but again, for those defensive purposes, just making that, that starting lineup a little bit more nimble, able to chase those guys around the three-point line. Um, you know, Boston likes to shoot a bunch of three-pointers. And they took 32 tonight. But um, overall, I thought Philadelphia did a really nice job, David, of of controlling time of possession. And I thought that was what, you know, I thought that's what won then the game. They, they took 94 shots compared to Boston's 75. That really gets back to what Philadelphia wants to do in terms of dictating the, the speed and tempo of the game. And they, they did that. I mean, they were running after makes and misses. They were basically run, playing a, a seven seconds or less, uh, less offense, you know, getting, getting shots up very early in the shot clock and making Boston working for their shots on the defensive end. Yeah, I guess you could say there was a, a hint of desperation about this 76ers team facing elimination. Clearly, uh, there's no other time other than tonight to try and, and, and pull out all the stops. So 
it was clear that they needed to do something and and they really did respond pretty admirably to be honest with you now i i know that some celtics fans have already talked about the free throw disparity uh i, I guess in particular, um, you know, it wasn't that glaring. They actually both shot 26 free throws in the night, but there was a stretch there in the second quarter where uh, Philadelphia really took a number of free throws, and that was really the deciding factor where they were able to pull away there. So I think that kind of ties into your to your observation regarding the, the control time of possession. They shot a lot, mm-hmm. got to the line perhaps a little bit more, or at least in key moments during the game, and in that sense were able to take away you know, some of Boston's key players, a guy like Tatum, who's been so sensational as a rookie, got into foul trouble early, really never really, you know, he didn't get too engaged. He did finish with 20 points and 7 of 16 shooting, 2 of 6 from three-point range. And you look at that, that's a pretty solid overall night. And yet it wasn't, it was never really that kind of impactful. Like it was a, a quiet 20 points and Al Horford only 10 points. You know, guys like Rozier, uh, you know, who has been so spectacular during the postseason, finishing with just 11 points. It just seemed like they could never really get engaged. So I, I guess it was a combination of the defense, the, that controlled pace on Philadelphia's end, and also some timely buckets from Philadelphia. I mean, 100, uh, 103 points isn't a high-scoring night, but considering how Boston has managed to really slow things up during the postseason, it was a pretty good shooting night for Philadelphia. Yeah. Number one defense during the regular season, too. I mean, Absolutely. that's that's... Nothing to sneeze at. And look, I, to, to your free throw point, I mean, Philadelphia was just aggressive attacking the basket, too. I mean, 52 points in the paint compared to just 30 for Boston. They dominated in the paint. And some of that, of course, is Joel Embiid um, and his just general presence. But overall, I mean, you got you had a guy like Dario Saric who, who made a point to not not so much shoot a bunch of threes as he has kind of been relegated to. He's been mm-hmm. a, basically a, a stretch four, but he only took three three-pointers in the game. And, and really, but he took 17 field goal attempts, took time to to put the ball down and, and get to the basket. Now, while the Sixers managed to extend their series, the Raptors didn't have such luck. Dwayne Casey came out with a new starting lineup going small with Serge Ibaka at center, but the Cavs exploited that immediately, and that sent Toronto into a free fall as the Cavs blew them out 128-93, to and ending the series, Cleveland is moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals, and Toronto just didn't put up much of a fight in that series. Yeah. Uh, or in that, I'm sorry, in that game, in that game, in that game, or in the series. Come on, I think you can really well, make that. Well, in the that series, uh, well, game, game one of the games went to overtime. LeBron won another one in a buzzer beater. There was games there that that were Toronto had a, a strong performance. We got to give them a little bit of credit, but sure. overall, Cleveland decidedly won the series. We, yeah, I, I think that's pretty clear. And, and on a night like tonight. It just seemed like it became so daunting a task to try and knock off this Cavaliers team that when they seemed so engaged early on, Toronto just couldn't find a way to answer. Uh, I mean, I, I know Cleveland shot particularly well. Uh, LeBron was having his his most effective kind of game, you know, where he's really controlling who gets shots when. He really sees things a, a step faster than everybody else. And I, that's just... Toronto had no response for it, but then all of a sudden you get J.R. Smith shooting from the corners. He seemed like he was practically unstoppable there. Um, what did he finish with? Uh, he was. He, yeah. he was. He made all all six of his shots, three yeah. of which were three pointers. He finished, you know, fifteen points. Night. Yeah, it wasn't a huge night, but again, he twenty nine really effective minutes. But it's just they just seemed so precise, methodical, and and Toronto yeah. just completely discombobulated there. Didn't have any response. 
they were looking for answers. And I know you and I have talked about this before, how Dwayne Casey's been outcoached by Ty Lue. And I think you could say that that's been the case uh, even in, in this deciding game as well. I mean, Casey, 100%. I mean, has, has you know, gotten a lot of attention as a potential coach of the year candidate considering what happened during the regular season. I don't know that this is going to impact it, obviously, because I think voting's already been completed. But at the same time, right. uh, he, just, he just didn't seem like he understood the nuances of how to respond to uh, to Ty Lue's rotational changes, um, you know, when things were going bad. He, I mean, the, the, the change to the starting lineup, a little too little too late. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could Well, the Ibaka this. thing, didn't, it didn't even work. I mean, right. that was his adjustment. It was a terrible adjustment. It yeah. was bad. It was... They were worse off with Ibaka at center than they were with Valanchunas and Ibaka. What could you have done court. differently? Go with maybe Pascal you, Siakam in the starting lineup instead? I think you... Yeah, I think you either go super small with Siakam and Anunnabi... Or you play Valanchunas, who after look Abaka came in right, yeah, and and he started at the five, and then they played Anunoby at the four, right, and and Aba- and Cleveland immediately was like, oh, dinner time, this is great, and right. they just they just attacked him in every single pick and roll, and Abaka simply could not keep up, which is surprising to me because Abaka is a veteran NBA player mm. that he knew. I mean, how could you if you're the Raptors? It's either Dwayne Casey's fault or Abaka's fault. I'm not sure. But how could you not know that they're just going to run you through a pick and roll over and over and over again and test that as soon as they see that you're playing center? And he was just unprepared for it. He just was behind every single play. And then they they played him off the court. He brought in Valanchunas. And Valanchunas was immensely better uh, defensively against the pick and roll. And... And on offense, he was he put up I think you know he, his first ten points in eight minutes. I mean he was he was a factor offensively where Abaka hasn't been an, a factor on offense for three years. So speaking, speaking of non-factors on offense, Kyle Lowry thirty minutes, two of seven oof, shooting, just five points. Game. I mean, look the the buzz all year was you know that he's taken a lesser role, a changed role in Dwayne Casey's offense, but when it comes to the postseason, there's obviously been a lot of whispers, a lot of talk about how he kind of shrinks in the moment. This didn't help. Uh, you know, this was a bad night, and I guess you could say a lot of that was due to Cleveland's defense, but to only take seven shots, to only hit two of those, we're going to hear a lot of those rumors again, and I yeah. wonder if it's at this point in time where we start looking at Toronto's rap, uh, the Toronto's roster and looking at what needs to change, and maybe Kyle Lowry is that one piece that needs to move on, that they need to move on from. And I don't know that they can, considering his overwhelming salary mm. and his age at this point in his career. He's just not exactly the kind of asset he once was. DeRozan also, 5'11 from the field, just 13 points, and got ejected at the end of the game. Yeah, um, that wasn't a flagrant, for, though. I didn't see that. I, I, yeah, I, it was. You think so? I mean, I don't know if it was a flagrant, too, but it was a flagrant. I didn't see but it hit him right up. in the face, and he lost his contact. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. As somebody who wears contacts, I know that that's kind of disconcerting. But at the same time, I didn't see a major wind-up. inconvenience. Yeah, I didn't see a no. Wind-up. I didn't. I didn't see a wind-up. Flagrant two is excessive. A flagrant though, I mean, he hit him over the head. Sure. I was okay with the flagrant, but I, I see your point. Not a flagrant two. Uh, so quickly, disappointing season for the Raptors. <sighs> yes, it was always yeah. about the postseason with them. Uh, to set a franchise record and wins means nothing. They got some nice. Key pieces there, but to, to kind of face LeBron James and crumble once again before his might, uh, it obviously leaves a really bad taste. None of that, none of those sixty yeah. wins matter at all. I don't, I don't see how if you're a Raptors fan that you're you're excited about how this this season ended. I mean, no. you've got to be just your heads down and you're and you're disappointed. Um, tough, tough for the people in Toronto. Uh, I thought I thought the Raptors were a better team going into the series, but that was clearly not it didn't matter. It was not the case. No, it was. Um, Toronto could face some coaching questions as they search for answers this summer. Uh, But Detroit already made a decision to let their head coach go. We'll talk about that next. 
But first, a quick reminder to make sure that you're subscribed to Locked on NBA to get the podcast every day. Think of it as your bite-sized briefing for the most important stories around the league. And keep it here for daily updates on everything going on in the NBA playoffs. So subscribe to Locked on NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. We'll look ahead to tonight's playoff games, but let's go to Detroit, where the Pistons have decided to part ways with Stan Van Gundy after four seasons. Here's Matt Shook of Locked On Pistons with more. Hey, this is Matt Shook of Locked On Pistons. But after a month, it finally happened. Stan Van Gundy was fired Monday by the Pistons as coach and president of basketball operations with a rather strange press release by the team where Tom Gores, the owner, and Stan Van Gundy, uh, he said Tom Gores the, that Stan wanted to return. Quote, Stan is a competitor and he wanted to finish the job, Gores said. Not quite sure exactly why Gores needs to be pointing that out. I don't know if that's a dig at Stan Van Gundy or if that's trying to uh, make him look better. It was a strange way of putting that. After four years, with one year remaining on his contract, uh, Stan will not be coming back. Van Gundy's four years featured a rapid ascent to the playoffs in year two after taking over a franchise stuck in the mud. But the last two were obviously disappointing seasons, hindered by reckless free agent misses and draft night head scratchers, most notably taking Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell last summer uh, as Mitchell began to, it looks like a star starring career that he's going to have with the Utah Jazz, and that one spelled the end of the Stan Van Gundy era. We may never know what happened in the days of California meetings between Gores and Van Gundy that dragged out recently, and why did they drag out so long is the biggest question probably on Pistons fans right now uh, on the minds, but Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that last week that Gores wanted Stan Van Gundy to stay on as coach but retool the front office structure, but they weren't able to reach that agreement, nor were they able to get into any extension that Stan Van Gundy was likely pining for with only one year left on his deal. So Dan will collect $7 million and probably have his pick of television jobs as he's a engaging and compelling personality in front of the microphones, all told. It'll probably be better for him uh, as a, than a lame duck year under a new boss that didn't didn't hire him. So the Pistons joined the coach and executive searches nearly a month after their season ended. Again, why did that take so long? Names like Steve Clifford, Mike Budenholzer, or former Piston Jerry Stackhouse figure to be tossed around in terms of coaching candidates, although this job certainly ranks below division rival Milwaukee in the pecking order of openings. And you can draw your own conclusions as fans and, and coaches out there about where the Pistons fall in terms of some of these other ones, like the Charlottes or maybe the rebuilding teams such as Atlanta that still have openings as well. Uh, Woj of ESPN also reported that uh, former Arn Talon client, client Brent Berry could be involved in the new front office as well. Former Pistons star Chauncey Billups was also attached to the team uh, team's front office in a report from Mark Stein of the New York Times earlier this year in January as potentially part of the revamped front office for the Pistons and his former team. The team will move forward to the potentially awkward and injury-prone core of Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, and Andre Drummond with little salary cap flexibility and almost assuredly no first-round pick next month. But if there's one thing we can guess about Gores, a Malibu resident who has gravitated more to his glitzy life in California than his Michigan background, it's that he's probably going to want to make a splash. Based on the, his bidding of Van Gundy away from the Warriors four years ago and his at least approval of the Griffin trade this year, he'll be hoping to make that big splash 
and get uh, the Pistons out there and in a winning position, and especially in the newspapers and on Twitter uh, right away and hopefully back in the playoffs as quickly as this year. And we will see how that works out for the Detroit Pistons down the road, again, who have fired Stan Van Gundy as coach and president of basketball operations. This is Matt Shook for Locked On Pistons. Thanks for listening. As Matt said, Van Gundy was both the head coach and the president of basketball operations, so this was very much an overhaul for the Pistons as they seek to go in a new direction, David. Yeah, it's not easy to maintain both roles there. I think uh, you're starting to see that that's not the case anymore. I think those days are long gone where a coach can be responsible for roster decisions at such a level because you just – you don't have that kind of different perspective. You need somebody in the front office to work in conjunction with the coaching staff, no doubt. But at the same time, to, to be able to kind of stay a little bit aloof from the day-to-day interactions with players and say, you know what, this is a person that fits best on our team, that helps maximize the talents of everybody else. And then it's up to the coach to try and make the most out of those rosters that's been assembled. It doesn't always work. Clearly, it's a challenge at any level. Uh, but this, to try and combine both roles, too much for Van Gunny to handle. And, you know, I think he's a fine coach from what we understand he tried to appeal to ownership to try and keep his coaching position and maybe uh you know let go of the the president of basketball operations role but uh, i guess owner tom gores wasn't having it and decided to move on from the van gundy era well i mean this is that whole you know head coaching president of basketball ops type of thing just that seems like it was like a fad that just didn't quite work. I don't know where it came from. If they looked at Greg Popovich, who has that title, or Pat Riley, but uh, Pat Riley, yeah, when he was on on the sidelines as well, maybe there's something there. But I mean, that's Greg Popovich, and that's Pat Riley. I mean, Jesus, like those are like two of the best of the best. But like Van Gundy is a great coach. Mike Budenholzer, great coach. Doc Rivers, great great head coach, but well. also guy. Well, you know whatever. Guys, good head, respect, whatever. Successful guys, coach. Successful head coach. Guys, but those guys, you know, like they want, they all at at times also wore that that crown of of president of basketball operations, and and all three of them have, you know, at separate points had to relinquish those duties and just focus on being a head coach. And if you're Van Gundy, now you're focusing on being a head coach elsewhere. And uh, I don't. We can go in a lot of directions with this. We could, you know, Van Gundy, I think he'll get a job somewhere else. Clearly, well, I, you know, I think he, he said that he won't coach anywhere else if he ever lost his position with Detroit, that he might ineffectively be done oh, coaching in the, NBA, in the NBA. Interesting. Yeah. Well, for the, and for the Pistons, I mean, look, they could they can change up their head coach. And, and quite frankly, that might be the only way to really change anything on this roster because right. they're kind of locked in. And especially after trading for Blake Griffin at the deadline, they just they don't have a lot. Of wiggle room, they're seventeen million dollars over the cap next season. They've got big contracts tied to Griffin, Andre Drummond, and Reggie Jackson. That's your trio going forward. I just, it's it's kind of like fine. It's a fine trio. I just I don't know how I don't know how far that gets you in the East, and I don't know how you you know they they he busted on draft picks like Luke Kennard and Stanley Johnson. It just hasn't worked out with those other kind of fringe moves. You know? Yeah, I mean the Johnson one. I don't know that anybody saw him as. Uh a bust early on like he seemed like a, a pretty surefire bet considering his defensive tenacity and his nba ready body but he's just been so raw offensively like he he does lack polish as a scorer so it's been difficult for him yeah. to watch and he just hasn't grown over the last few years you look at a guy who was chosen a couple picks afterwards and justice winslow he's made that evolution particularly in the playoffs we saw a different side of him going up against the 76ers he seems well beyond what stanley johnson has shown in detroit so um, yeah, I mean, he could have... Yeah, if you're, if, I mean, if you're a Pistons fan, you're looking at, like, hey, you, you passed up for Justice Winslow for Stanley Johnson. You passed, you, 
you know, you passed up Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker, Devin Booker for Stanley yeah. Johnson. Right. And then you and then you passed up Donovan Mitchell, who is sitting right there for you for Luke Kennard. And I don't care. I know that Donovan Mitchell was sort of the surprise pick, but a lot of people had Donovan Mitchell ranked over Luke Kennard. Like a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Like absolutely. a lot of smart people. Yeah, I mean, Kennard's I mean, that was, not. That's he, a bad miss. He's not a bad player necessarily, but he's just not going to be that kind of impactful yeah. a player like he's limited athletically he's limited in what he can do he's a really solid shooter obviously but as a playmaker he's limited as a rebounder he's limited as a defensive player he's yeah. limited maybe a lot of hustle maybe a lot of grit and you kind of appreciate that sort of thing but at the same time uh, he's just not going to ever turn into an all-nba player at least and not it, from what we've seen in one year so far and if you're the pistons i mean you can't move blake griffin that contract i don't see how you do that i saw it, some it's rumors tough to get off of the reggie what i, I saw rumors. some rumors yeah that maybe they might try to move him to oklahoma city considering he's from oklahoma played collegiately there maybe they could try and oh God. package uh, a deal no, for carmelo Presti anthony nah nah Presti doesn't do that not, no, not, not, not i don't see it either. i don't see it Reggie Jackson, you can't. Like, he's not performed up to that contract, and he's coming off of some injury concerns. I think Andre Drummond is the only guy you can move there. Mm. Maybe you try to just uh, hail mary, shoot for a super modern team. You you trade Drummond for pieces and and some w- cap wiggle room, and then make Blake Griffin your your small ball center. I, I just I don't know. You know, we haven't gotten a chance to really you know dissect this thing. But if you're the Pistons, you've got to start getting creative because that's really the only way to go from here. In addition right. to obviously just switching your head coach and maybe hoping that a new head coach can get more out of the, those fringe roster pieces than so, what Van Gundy was able to do. There's a couple um, a couple GM options, right? David Griffin, maybe Sam mm-hmm. Hinkie. Could yeah. you go could these guys go in there and kind of change things up and maybe bring a, a potential coach to maximize, you know, Dr- Drummond has some playmaking ability. He's not necessarily the most forceful sure. center. Um, but he could be a good playmaker, a good passer, and, and, and maybe somebody who can... With that, with those cap, with the, with those books, the way they are right now, that cap situation, if I'm Hinky, if I'm Griffin, if I'm one of these top-notch GMs, like, you Stay know, that right. are on the top of most candidate lists, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that <laughs> not that job. I just, I'm not. I'm sorry. I just... And it's not like it's in LA or, or Miami, you know what I mean? It's nothing against Detroit, but I'm all, it's not necessarily a destination city either, you know what I mean? Right. So, I don't know. Um... Next up, we'll preview tonight's playoff games. But first, don't forget that in addition to the daily Locked On NBA show, the Locked On Podcast Network also has a daily show for your favorite NBA team. So go ahead and subscribe to both your team's channel on iTunes and your favorite on your favorite podcasting app by subscribing to both the Locked On NBA show and your favorite team show. You'll be covered with everything that you need to know. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We've got two playoff games and two teams who could be eliminated tonight. Let's start with Utah at Houston. Um, the Jazz got that one win, and it was an exciting win. Mm-hmm. But in this, the la- in the in their last game of the series, Houston just blew the doors off of them. Uh, Ricky Rubio, who has been out the entire series, will still remain out with that hamstring injury that he's been dealing with. I thought that's I, I think that's really hurt Utah. I don't know that people are talking about that enough. That not having Rubio there between Rubio and Donovan Mitchell in that backcourt, that's a really good defensive. Duo and for the Jazz, Dante Exum's done a nice job here and there in spurts, sort he'll of picking out. up. He'll be out, in game you know, James so. Harden, but but he'll be out. And then and now you're, if you're the Jazz, I just I don't know that you could stop James Harden and Chris Paul. Never mind how Clint Capella is just dominating in the paint, you know? Yeah, no, I mean to your point, um, asking Donovan Mitchell as a rookie to be a playmaker and a top scorer 
is a little bit too much. Like he's just not, I don't know that he's necessarily a good fit as a playmaker, which is why playing alongside a guy like Rubio, who's a much more natural passer, really has worked so well, not just defensively, obviously, but offensively. And so uh, I, I think it's been a lot to ask of a rookie. Uh, he's been sensational for most of the season. And obviously during the playoffs, he's had his spectacular moments. But uh, it's just not a role he's ideally suited for, and it's kind of set them back. Uh, they got some nice play out of Exum, as you pointed out, but you know, losing him to injury, I think, hurts their depth and changes what they can do. You're asking for too much. Again, even more of the load falls onto Donovan's shoulders, so that's an uncomfortable situation for him. And he just, you know, when you're going up against a guy like Harden or, or, or Chris Paul, <laughs> you know, you. You've got to be on your your A game defensively, unfortunately, and, and you know obviously there's been some issues regarding free throws and everything else. So it's it's not looking good for Utah, unfortunately. The, a valiant effort to be able to get past a, a veteran laden team in Oklahoma City to steal that one game in Houston. You think that maybe they might be able to even it up the series, but uh, it never it didn't really seem realistic at this point. Yeah, you know, I mean, James uh, Mike D'Antoni. At, at um on the, at the podium after the last game, you know he was asked about the offensive strategy and he bas- and and how uh, Utah was basically allowing them to have those mid range shots right because right. they run guys off the three point lines and then they funnel everybody to Rudy Gobert who who you know protects the paint and he said well yeah and so we just let Chris Paul go go crazy from mid range he's one of the best mid range shooters in the history of the league right. so yeah go ahead protect your paint. Protect the three-point line. We'll just let Chris Paul go wild. And then every once in a while, James Harden does what James Harden does, which is just he's the best one-on-one offensive player in the league. And you just, I don't care who you've got who running him off the three-point line or in the paint. He's going to get his. So you combine those two things. And I just, I don't know that Utah's an answer. And and Rudy Gobert was kind of that that one, that trump card, that advantage that they had. But right. Capella's outplayed him in this series. Has and, he been exposed a little bit, you football. think? I mean, I, th- I think... Exposed is strong just because, you know, I want to give more credit to Houston's offense. Okay. You know, because it's, it's an historically great offense. So I think anybody would have been kind of exposed against that. It just It's it's a tough matchup for him is all. You know, yeah. again, he's not a guy that's getting out um, on the three-point line and, and, and trapping guys and pick-and-rolls and things like that. It's just not his game. So, um, yeah, it's been tough. It's been yeah. really tough. And it, I, I just I'm thinking if there's any way of a uh, Utah being able to seal this win at Houston, no. uh, you know it seems unlikely. The best bet yeah. is to try and get Harden into foul trouble early on. Uh, it seemed to work in Game Two, the one game that Utah was able hmm. to win. So maybe if they get Harden in foul trouble, they can try and capitalize on on the uh, matchup there. Uh, but Houston, to their credit, uh, they've found different ways to win. They've ratcheted up their defense on occasion. They've let Harden and, and Paul Cook, obviously. Uh, they've gone to Capella frequently inside. I mean, they've gotten key contributions from their role players. There, there's so many different weapons, so many different options for Houston. There's no way of knowing how they're going to beat you next. But the best option for, for a team like Utah is to obviously try and mitigate what Harden can do. And the best way of doing that is by getting him in foul trouble. So I could see an aggressive Mitchell trying to go at him early on and maybe draw a couple fouls, get Harden on the bench, and kind of throw off the chemistry a little bit from what Houston can do. Yeah. I mean, that's the strategy, I suppose, that's right? That's the only one, Barry, right? You try to do the There's same, no the same thing to Capella, right? Like, sure. that would be... That'd be the strategy, but it does, you know, I don't want to write any teams off at any point. But it it does seem like Houston is on a collision course uh, with that with 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 the Warriors, and that leads us to our our second game of the night. The Warriors lead the series uh, against the Pelicans three to one, and they'll have a chance to knock them off. 
Um, the Pelicans did manage to win a game in New Orleans, but then the Warriors beat them in that second game in New Orleans. So they split the series. They split the two um, out there, and now they're heading back to Oakland. Things don't look good for New Orleans, who just have struggled essentially to match up with with the Warriors this entire series. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that any team really, maybe with the exception of the Rockets. <laughs> Matches up with what Golden State can do offensively. You have to pick your poison there. If it's not a, a role player or a guy like Clay Thompson, who, I mean, as a role player, he's such an efficient and effective scorer, uh, it's hard to kind of see him in that lower, lesser role. But, you know, it's either him or a guy like Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. Somebody's always going to step up and have a huge game. And, you know, there's just the only – there's only so much that you can do. They've also taken out Drew Holiday. They've limited his uh, input, uh, his impact considering what he uh, – the kind of series he had against Portland. He was the key to the series, I think, and, and he just hasn't lived up to the that kind of uh, burden. So it's been difficult for New Orleans. Again, I, I don't see an opportunity for them to steal a win here. I mean, going back to Golden State at home at, at the Oracle Arena there, it seems – Pretty unlikely that they'll upset them there. I mean, when was the last time that I've read that they lo- last lost a playoff game in 2016? So, uh, mm. you know, it's been a couple of years, so I don't expect them to, to be able to lose to New Orleans. Yeah, you know, I mean, the one game they lost, or the one game the Pelicans won this, this series was that one, that second game after Curry returned where he right. was a little rusty and Steve Kerr was talking about how like it's not the first game when you come back because you have all that adrenaline, but it's the second game you come back where you struggle the most with that injury. And so if you're New Orleans, if you're any team, uh, you know, you've got to try to beat the Warriors. You've got to try to take out either Steph or KD. And, and much easier said than done, obviously, but that's kind of... That's kind of the strategy, and but Golden State credit to them. I mean, they've they've dictated the matchups by starting the Hamptons five in the last game, and I think that's going to be huge for them. They've gotten contributions from guys like Quinn Cook and Kevon Looney. So, um, yeah, I just I it, it kind of feels like this one's a wrap too, and we're headed to Golden State and Houston in the Eastern Conference Finals, and and we could po- quite possibly know that at the end of the night. So. Um, that's all we have for today. You can subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll be back next Tuesday. You can find us on Locked On Heat. In the meantime, John Corrales and Jake Madison got you on Locked On NBA tomorrow. Thank you for listening, and thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.